4. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 3. We're going to continue our survey of the book of Genesis. When I introduced this series to you three weeks ago, I told you that we'd be going through this book in a rather quick manner. We've done that to a degree these past weeks, making our way through one of these first three chapters each Sunday. But now today we're going to put a little bit more pressure on the gas pedal and we're going to make our way, try to, Lord willing, through the next six chapters today. Um, In the first three chapters of Genesis, we've seen how the Lord is the creator of all things, that he's the all-powerful one. He wills something, and it becomes a reality that comes into being. He's our maker, and because he's our maker, he's also our master. He has mastery over us. Because he's made us, he knows what's best for us, and because he's created us, he has a rightful authority over us. But we learned last week as we looked at chapter 3 of Genesis that mankind chafes under authority, even under the good and rightful authority of the God who makes us and the God who blesses us. We saw last week how the first man and woman committed cosmic treason against their God and against ours. And when that occurred, sin and death and shame and blame shifting and animosity between humankind and with the Lord entered into human experience. Last week as we looked at chapter 3 of Genesis, we began to see God's judgment of mankind because of his sin. And we're going to see more of that here today. Today we'll see again the devastating effect that sin has upon us and upon how it affects our relationships with others and with God himself. We'll also see, though, that the Lord is also the God who saves and delivers and who walks with those who submit themselves to the Lord's good lordship over their lives. Today we'll be looking at Genesis chapters 4 through 9, but before we look at God's word, let's ask for God's help. And Lord, that's what we ask here again today. Oh Lord, help us. Help us in every way that we need to be helped. Help us, Lord, to rightly understand this portion of your holy word. Help us by providing a special measure of your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we might do that, so we might rightly understand and also apply this portion of your word. This is our prayer. Be pleased, Lord, to accomplish it, we pray. Amen. Now, we remember that Adam and Eve have sinned against the Lord in eating the forbidden fruit, and the Lord in chapter 3 has cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And then we come now to Genesis 4, verse 1, where Moses writes, Now Adam and Eve, now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And here we should remember, do you remember from Genesis 3.15, the Lord's promise to Adam and Eve? 
After they had sinned against the Lord, and as the Lord was pronouncing His curse upon the serpent, the Lord promised that out of the offspring of the woman, He would raise up a Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head. And now this woman's had a child. Would this be the promised Redeemer? And if not this first one, would the second? Perhaps Adam and Eve wondered this very question. Perhaps they even looked for that to happen in their lifetime. Now we know, but but they wouldn't, that it wouldn't be of these two or of any of their direct children who would be that Redeemer. That Redeemer wouldn't come until a young, unwed virgin girl named Mary would give birth to him in a cattle stall thousands of years later. But notice that the, that the Lord's making it possible that in spite of their sin and rebellion against him, the Lord's still making it possible for Adam and Eve, even though they are sinners, to accomplish the mandate that he had given to them to be fruitful and to multiply. The Lord isn't letting the fact that they sin against him thwart his holy purposes. The Lord God will accomplish his holy purposes. Let's continue reading verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering... But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And here, we want to know why. Why was Abel's offering acceptable to the Lord, but Cain's wasn't? The reality is we really don't know. Probably it isn't as simple that Abel's offering involved the sacrifice of an animal. Because the Lord hadn't given that kind of direction to his people yet. But note that that Abel's offering was from the pick of his flock. While Cain's spirit towards the Lord was arrogant. We see that in verse 5 when we read that Cain was angry. But even in that sin against the Lord, notice the Lord's compassion towards Cain. Even in the face of Cain's anger towards him, still the Lord seeks to instruct and to warn Cain. And he says to him, him, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you or, or to have you, but you must rule over it. The Lord knows how anger and animosity and pridefulness and hatred can take root in our hearts. And left unchecked, that will lead to disastrous consequences. That's what we're told of in in James 1, 14 and 15. When James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
and we see those deadly consequences of sin not resisted in the next verse in Genesis. Genesis 4, 8. Then Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. How far the human race has already fallen. How far the deadly effects of sin have already gone. Just one generation after the first sin of mankind against the Lord, brother kills brother. It ought not be. But such are the effects of sin. We need to take care that we don't allow sin to go unchecked in our hearts or we're capable of responding in a very similar way. Now to this, the the Lord confronts Cain in verse 9, saying, Cain, where's your brother? Now, of course, the Lord already knew, but nonetheless, to this question from the Lord, Cain continues to sin by now lying to the Lord. The Lord then pronounces a judgment against Cain to which Cain says that that punishment is too great for him to bear and Cain says that he fears that someone will kill him in retribution to him killing his brother. But look at what the kind and gracious Lord does next. Verse 15. To Cain's fear that someone will now kill him, the Lord says to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, this being some kind of a mark of protection, lest any who found him should attack him. That's how gracious the Lord is. Even to a murderer, the Lord blesses and the Lord protects The Lord is the God who blesses as part of his character. And if the Lord will do this even for a murderer, maybe then there's even hope that he'll be kind and gracious to you and I as well. But then the the Lord, at Cain's sad response, even to this kindness of the Lord in in verse 16, look look at Cain's response even to this gracious act of God. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Like his parents before him, Cain sins, and then he responds by attempting to to hide from the Lord. And he flees, we're told in verse 16, from the presence of the Lord. That's what sin does. Unrepentant sin separates us from the joy of a relationship of communion with the Lord. And then in verse 25, we see another kindness of the Lord to Adam and Eve again. These two who also sinned against him and tried to hide from him. Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And then in verse 26, we're told, and to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And with those words, we're hopeful. We're we're hopeful that mankind from this point on won't only be known for sinfulness and rebellion against the Lord. But with those words, we have hope that at least some men and women might embrace the Lord and walk with him in faithfulness. And in chapter 5, we're introduced to some people like that when we read of some of the godly descendants of Seth, including this first man, Enoch. We read about Enoch, this descendant of Seth and Adam and Eve, in verse 24 of Genesis 5. In Genesis 24, Moses says this about Enoch. And Enoch walked with God. And then he was not, for God took him. Hebrews 11.5 explains what this means to us, saying Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Enoch walked with God. His life wasn't characterized by sin and rebellion against the Lord. And rather than attempting to hide from the Lord or attempting to, f- to flee from the Lord like Adam and Eve and Cain, Enoch chose instead to walk with him faithfully for a lifetime. May the Lord, by his spirit, enable us to do the same. Lord, make that so, we pray. We're introduced to another man of faith in verse 29 of chapter 5. In verse 28, we read of the grandson of Enoch, a man named Lamech, that he fathered a son, And then verse 29, Lamech then called the name of his son Noah, saying, out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. In a world that's groaning out for redemption, Noah is said to be the one who will bring relief. He's the one who will bring help. He's the one who will bring hope to the human race. He'll be an agent of God's supernatural comfort and preservation and relief to a world that's so desperate for it. And although with learning about Enoch and Noah in chapter 5 we have hope, we then come to chapter 6. And we come to a situation which seems hopeless. And we see that in verses 5 and 6 and following of chapter 6. Look at that with me, if you would, please. Verse 5. And the Lord saw, the wicked, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How far and how quickly has assaulted humanity and the image of God in mankind been corrupted. It's that Reformed theological concept of total depravity, that because of the corrosive effects of sin, every aspect of our humanity has been pervasively corrupted by the destructive effects of sin in all of our being without the redemptive saving work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. Then in verse 6, Moses employs this language to help us understand the depth 
to which mankind has fallen by saying, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. In verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. And a statement like this should just stop us in our tracks. As we read this, we have to think, oh no, God's going to destroy all of humanity. How can this be? It's inconceivable. But then look at the very next verse. Verse 8. To this proclamation that he's going to wipe out all of humanity, that he is grieved that he has created mankind, Moses says this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This verse should cause us to look to the Lord to do something with Noah other than to just destroy him, other than to just blot him out like he had just said he's inclined to do to all of mankind. And this should cause us to remember what Noah's father said of Noah when Noah was born. That this one shall bring us relief from our painful toil. We, we should expect that something hopeful is going to occur when we, when we read in verse 9 in this backdrop of all this pervasive incredible sinfulness that, that abounds throughout the world. In verse 9 we read, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There's one. There's one godly man. Friends, never lose sight of what God can do through the life of one godly person. In whatever situation you may be in, Never fail to expect that the Lord can and is inclined to do remarkable things to the, with the presence of just one faithful person there in that situation. Oh Lord, may we be that type of faithful man or woman, boy or girl. May we offer our lives up to you. And would you do remarkable things in and through us, Lord. Lord, cause our presence in other people's lives to be a relief to them from their toils, we pray, as we rightly reflect your image among them. Let's continue reading verse 10. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was, was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then the Lord God says this in verse 14. Make for yourself then an ark of gopher wood. 
Again, when we read this, this should make us hopeful, at least for Noah. God has said that he's going to to blot out all the earth. He's going to destroy them, the others. But God has other plans, other intentions, other purposes for Noah. In the verses that follow, God's going to give instructions to Noah about how he and his family can escape the execution of the wrath of God. And we'll see how the Lord intends not only to preserve humanity through the saving of Noah and his family, but God will also preserve others of his creation through the preservation of the animals that he'll instruct Noah to take with him in the ark. Now, if you will, look, look at how Moses chose to end this chapter. Look at the last verse of this chapter. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. And his life will be preserved because of it. There's blessing that comes from doing what the Lord commands. Here I think of John 6 there. Jesus has just said some very difficult things to accept. And we're told that many of those people who had been following Jesus up until that point turned and walked away. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, will you too go away? And then Peter to Christ's question says to him, Lord, where will we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Here I think also of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also more than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them is great reward. There's blessing that comes to us as we do what the Lord commands us. Life and blessing and human flourishing come to us as we do that. Again, Lord, we pray that you would make us into men and women, boys and girls, who would seek to do that which you command us. As we come to chapter 7, Noah continues to do all that the Lord commanded him to do by bringing the animals into the ark. And then in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 7, look there. There we read that, the, that then the Lord caused the fountains of the great deep to burst forth with water, that is. And windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then verse 13, on the very day that that began to happen, on that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast. And then we're told in verse 19 that the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. 
And with that, we're told in verse 23 and following that God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. But then as we come into chapter 8, we move less from an emphasis on judgment and the wrath of God. And we focus more again now upon the grace and the mercy of God. Chapter 8, verse 1. And then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. And when the Old Testament utilizes this language of God remembering, most often it it carries with it the idea of his steadfast love and his timely intervention. And that's what we see here. The Lord remembers Noah and his family and and the animals with him. And the Lord remembers that it was his sovereign intention that they would be saved through the flood and not be destroyed by it. And now at just the right time, the Lord causes the waters on the face of the earth to subside. And then verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And we'll see the Lord repeat this blessing to be fruitful and to multiply two more times in chapter 9. Again, we see it again. The Lord still blessing his creation. Even after wrath, God brings blessing. And then in verse 18 of chapter 8, Noah and his family come out of the ark and the animals after them. And then in verse 20, we read how Noah then built an altar to the Lord there. And he offered up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the aroma of that offering reached to the Lord, the Lord found that to be a pleasing aroma. The Lord delighted to receive that offering of thanksgiving from Noah. As we come to verse 8 of chapter 9, if you'll turn over to that now. As you come to chapter 9, verse 8, we're told, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you. And the Lord explains that he'll put a sign of that covenant, a rainbow in the sky. And he says that when he sees that rainbow in the sky, he'll remember that covenant and that he'll never again destroy all life by a flood. And we'll stop here for today. So what do we learn from these chapters of Genesis? Well, in Noah, we see an example of living a righteous life in the midst of a wicked generation. May we, with the help of the Spirit of the Lord, live in a similar manner, shining forth as a beacon of light, a beacon of righteousness in our day. May we, as Enoch chose, again by the help of the Lord himself, may we, like Enoch, be among those who walk faithfully with God 
for a lifetime. And how does one do that? How is it possible for someone to walk faithfully with the Lord for a lifetime? Well, friends, that's done by committing ourselves each day and each moment to walk with the Lord that day. To walk with the Lord in that and every other moment. What else should we understand from these chapters of Genesis? Well, study of church history tells us that the early church especially saw Christ as a kind of ark. In some of the early drawings of the, of the early church, Christ is portrayed as a kind of ark. For he is, after all, the means through which our lives are truly preserved. See Christ in that way. To be one who is not found in Christ is to be one who in Noah's day was outside the ark. Outside of the ark, outside of Christ, is to be without hope and to be one who will surely die. But inside the ark, inside of Christ, joined in union to him through faith, is to have one be preserved through the grace of God. In these early chapters of Genesis, already we see that there's no hope for the human race outside of God's mercy. And we understand that God's greatest and clearest demonstration of the mercy that he offers to sinful mankind is his son, Jesus Christ, offered up for sinners on the cross as an atonement for sin. The Lord is the creator of all things. The Lord is also the only redeemer. He's the only redeemer of those only who recognize their need of and are willing to receive his remedy for sin. Only for those who receive and who depend upon and are found to have their life be hidden in Christ Jesus. And like Noah did as he left the ark, it's, it's good and it's right for us to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord for the deliverance that he's worked for us in Christ. Here I think of Romans 12.1, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, in whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray that the Lord will enable us to to live in these ways that rightly show forth the image of God in us. An image which is being renewed daily through the power of the Holy Spirit into the very image of Jesus Christ himself. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, we thank you that you are the God who saves. You are the God who who delivers. We thank you that even after mankind has rebelled against you, still you were pleased to walk with some. Still you were pleased to honor some, to 
to receive some, to preserve some. And we thank you that we can trust your word, the same word that tells us that you are the God who brings judgment upon sin. Lord, I even thank you for that. Thank you that you don't let us get by with sin. And you told Adam that in the day in which he would eat of the fruit of the tree, in that day he would surely die. We understand that that was a spiritual death. He lived physically beyond that day. We thank you for your grace that you show to sinful mankind, that you do not take us out the very first moment we sin against you. You would be right to do so, Lord. But we thank you that you are the God who is patient with sinners. We thank you that you are especially patient with and and turn the hearts of repentant sinners to yourself. Lord, we understand that your word even tells us that repentance and faith are gifts that you give to us. Lord, give to us repentance of heart. Give to us a faith that embraces you and walks with you rather than attempts to flee from you. We thank you, Jesus, that you delighted to be Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We thank you, Father, that you sent your son on a rescue mission to search for and to redeem that which was lost. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go in search of the one, and you return us back to the Father. Lord, don't let us stray. Don't let our hearts stray from you. Don't let our feet stray from you. Be magnified in and through our lives, Lord, we pray.